do I need to give all my money away? That's the question that came to my mind after reading Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. What I'll describe today is a journey. You could call it a quest. It was a quest to find a satisfying biblical answer to a tricky biblical question. Today, I invite you to join me on this quest. Here's where the quest started. In the passage we'll be looking at today, Jesus says, go sell everything you have to the poor. Does that mean I need to give all my money away? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, of course not. And maybe you're right. Perhaps this is just a one-time thing for this specific person. It wouldn't work for us to all literally give all our money away, right? That may be the case. But I want to take what Jesus says seriously. And he often says radical things. I think if we move on too quickly from the possibility of giving all our money away, we risk missing the power of what Jesus is saying here. That's what motivated me to explore this question. I want to really catch what Jesus is saying here. And I want to have a clearer sense of what our attitude toward money should be. Actually, before we get too far, I'll, I'll end the suspense. In terms of where we're heading today, we'll see the Bible warns against two extremes. One extreme is that of hoarding financial wealth. This is the mindset that says, this money is for me. I need to earn more, do more, be more. This view has a closed-fisted grasp on their wealth. Jesus doesn't want us holding that view. There's also another extreme word against in the Bible. This is where people are loose with their finances to the point of irresponsibility. They make choices they didn't need to make, land in financial trouble, and end up needing others to bail them out. This is different from people who are stuck in a poor financial situation and are doing the best they can. I'm talking about people who choose not to plan, who choose not to work hard, and who depend on their more financially responsible friends when they could have avoided that. Now, maybe one of these two extremes applies to you, and you feel stuck. The good news is, Jesus can get us out. On our own, we humans get stuck in our ways, but with Christ, we are made new. And when we follow Christ, we accept that God has final authority over our finances. We can be responsible with what he gives us, but then when he says give, we give. This is where we're heading today. I've spoiled the surprise. But let's journey there together. Let's go on this quest to see what the Bible says about this matter. Let's start things off by actually reading the passage. Here's the initial interaction between this man and Jesus. Mark 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now Jesus cuts to the heart of what this man needs to do. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. 
At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Throughout the Gospels, there will be moments where Jesus will provide explanations to his disciples after an event occurs. He gives his disciples a teaching moment. Here is one of those teaching moments, though the lesson is initially a bit hard for them to grasp. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now we see the response of the disciples contrasted with the response of the rich man. Verse 28, then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now that we've seen the passage, let's get ready to embark on this quest. Here are the questions. How does this passage apply to us today? Specifically, do we need to give all our money away? Perhaps you're thinking the answer is, it depends, and you would be on the right track. If the answer is, it depends, what does it depend on? I'll mention at this point that Andrew did a sermon on this passage about a year and a half ago. It's quite good. Feel free to look it up. Naturally, there will be some overlap between his message and this one today. However, there will be a couple of differences. One is I'll be focusing more on this specific question about our attitude toward money. And the second, I'll be taking a different approach to answer that question. Here's our approach today, our roadmap to the destination of clarity. Our plan is to look to the Bible for answers about the Bible. We'll start by examining the passage on its own. As we look at the passage, we can expect key lessons to emerge. And then we'll look at the passages immediately before and immediately after for additional context. Third, we'll look to the teachings of Jesus regarding money. The point here is we want to look beyond the specific circumstances of the passage and see what universal truths Jesus taught on the matter. We'll also look at how others responded to Jesus financially. Did Jesus tell others to sell everything? Then let's expand our view and see what else the New Testament taught about money. While we're at it, let's look at the Old Testament and see what it has to add. And then finally, how do we respond today? How's that for a plan? The only problem is seven steps is a lot to remember. Let's make it simpler. Here's our plan for today. Four concentric circles. The innermost circle is the passage itself. We start here and learn what we can from it. Then we peel back a layer and look at the Gospels. What did Jesus teach? Who else did Jesus interact with? 
Then we peel back another layer, looking at the rest of the New Testament. And then one more layer, looking at the rest of the Bible. So we have four layers, passage, Gospels, New Testament, Bible. We now have the map. Let's begin our quest. We'll start with the first layer, the passage. There is a lot we could observe from this passage. Where should our focus be? I believe these three things are worth noting. One is that Jesus calls the rich man to follow him. Second, we see the disciples are shocked by Jesus' teaching. And then third, we see the disciples did indeed leave everything to follow Jesus. Let's look at that first point. Jesus calls the man to follow him. In verse 17, the man asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? After a few verses, Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter in verse 21. This is where he famously says to sell everything to the poor. But he doesn't just say to sell everything. He also says to then follow him. Don't miss that. Jesus calls this man to follow him. But to do that, this man will need to sell off his estate. This is simply too much for the man to consider. It's an impossible request. Jesus then teaches his disciples about how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. He employs a vivid image to make his point. When Jesus talks about it being impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, this image on the screen is what he means. A literal camel and a literal needle eye. If you're having trouble seeing the needle, that's because I've made it approximately to scale with the camel. As you can see, camel plus eye of needle equals not going to happen. In the same way, we can't, we can't get into heaven without God getting us there. This would have been a shocking message for the disciples to hear because they would have been raised with the Jewish belief that spiritual blessings corresponded to material blessing. Think of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, those heroes of righteousness in the Old Testament. They had money, they had property, they had staff, they were materially blessed. For Jesus to say it's impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God was shocking. But God can do the impossible. By God's power, we can leave our old life behind and follow God. This is what happened with the disciples. We'll do a bit of a flashback now to an early passage in Mark. This was Jesus calling Simon and Andrew to follow him. Simon would later be known as Peter, the disciple in our original passage. Here's the passage. Mark 1, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for the people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Jesus called them to follow him. They responded by leaving their old lives to follow him. Okay, what have we learned so far? One thing is that money can be a barrier to following Jesus. The rich man walking away sad shows us that. Second, Jesus looks to the heart of what keeps us from following him. In the rich man's case, Jesus got right to the heart of his love of money by asking him to give it all up. Third, Jesus tells us that getting into heaven is impossible without God. We can't do it on our own, but we can do it 
through Jesus. That's what the disciples did. They left their old lives behind and followed Jesus. This brings us to our fourth point. Following Jesus is not only possible, but it is well worth the cost. This is good. We've learned some things looking at the passage. However, I wonder if there's more to uncover. How much of this passage applies universally and how much of it is specific to this situation? Let's continue this quest by looking at the passages immediately before and immediately after to get some additional context. We'll start with the passage immediately before. Mark 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these children. Wow. All right, and let's look at the story immediately after our main passage from today. This is just after Jesus talked to his disciples about the cost of following them. Mark 10, verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Jesus was going to the cross. He would pay the cost of salvation for us all. So here are a couple of additional lessons we learn looking before and after our main passage. The passage before shows that rather than earning our way into heaven, we need to receive it like children, dependent on Jesus. This contrasts with the rich man who tried to earn his way into heaven. The passage afterward shows us that Jesus set the example for showing the cost of discipleship. His life, death, and resurrection was and is the example for us all. That is who we follow. So, Tracking with the lessons learned so far, don't try to earn your way into heaven. Only through Jesus are we able to follow Jesus. What else did Jesus teach about money? How did Jesus interact with other wealthy people? Let's continue our quest. We've now moved on from the passage circle. We're making progress. Let's expand our scope now to the rest of the Gospels to see what else Jesus said and did. We'll start with some teaching from Jesus. Here is a passage from Matthew 6 during Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's another passage from that same Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, Verse 31, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, and 
for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. And then Luke 16. This is just after Jesus told a parable about servants handling a master's wealth. Here's a teaching from that parable, Luke 16, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You may be thinking there is more we could learn from the teachings of Jesus. You would be correct. Yet, even with just these few passages, there are lessons we can learn from Jesus' teaching. The first passage tells us to pursue heavenly treasures rather than hoard earthly treasures. This teaching doesn't outright ban owning stuff. What it does do is remind us that earthly things are temporary and we shouldn't place our ultimate trust in them. Instead, trust in God and the eternal things he values, heavenly treasures. The second passage echoes this point of trusting in God rather than in wealth. Otherwise, we risk making money rather than rather than God, our master. The third passage says, you cannot serve both God and money. Make God, not money, your master. At this point, it'd be helpful to have another example of how Jesus interacted with the rich. Let's turn now to how Jesus interacted with Zacchaeus. This is Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered through Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Zacchaeus' job was to take money from the Jewish people and give it to the Roman authorities. He was a rich man, but a social outcast. Yet he was so keen to see Jesus that he climbs a tree. Climbing trees was not something respectable Jewish men did. That was for children. And then how does Jesus respond to Zacchaeus? Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus invites himself to be Zacchaeus' house guest. This puts Zacchaeus in a position of honor as he hosts the renowned Jesus. Jesus does not treat Zacchaeus as a social outcast. How does Zacchaeus respond to Jesus? Verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus accepts Zacchaeus as a fellow son of Abraham. Other Jewish people wouldn't have been so keen to do this. Zacchaeus responds to Jesus' acceptance with an act of generosity. Giving back four times the the amount was the Mosaic law punishment for stealing. Zacchaeus, of his own accord, equates what he did to stealing from the Jewish people 
and offers to pay them back accordingly. Jesus did not ask him to do this, but Zacchaeus volunteered. He did not give away, he did not give away literally everything he owned, but what he did was miraculous. Only God could have enabled him to do, to respond the way he did. Look at one more passage from the Gospels. This is from Luke 8, starting at verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Here we see people who support the ministry of Jesus financially. They do this by earning money and using that money to support his ministry. They were acting in faithful obedience to Jesus. What do we learn from these examples? We see that people left behind their old life to follow Jesus. That matches with what we learned from the original passage. Zacchaeus provides a remarkable example of generosity as a natural response to Jesus' invitation. That is different from how the rich man in the original passage responded. We also see some earn money to support the ministry. This provides an example where giving away all your money is not the only faithful response. There is so much more we could unpack from the teachings and life of Jesus. In terms of requests, though, I think we're getting somewhere. Lessons learned here build on the lessons from the original passage we looked at. I think there's more to uncover, though. Let's continue peeling back the layers of the Bible and building on those lessons. And then at the end, we'll bring it all together. We've looked at the teachings and life of Jesus. Let's now see what the rest of the New Testament teaches about our attitude toward possessions. Here in Acts, we see the early church fresh after receiving the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So Acts 2, starting at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Verse 45, we see those who had property and possessions were able to help out those who were in need. The church was a place and continues to be a place where we can provide for each other's needs. Here's some teaching from the book of James. James chapter 2, starting at verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It's natural to treat people differently based on their status. However, the church should not be a place that shows favoritism to the rich over the poor. 
Instead, it should be a place where everyone is recognized the way God recognizes them. We'll look at one more New Testament passage, this one from 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. There's a famous saying, money is the root of all evil. What the Bible says here is a bit different from that. It's the love of money, rather than money itself, that leads to evil when your primary desire is for more money, more things, more financial security. That's when people get into trouble. The love of money is a temptation that needs to be resisted. What do we learn from the New Testament? One lesson is seeing the example of the early church and seeing how the church provided for each other's needs. The church today can continue to be a place that provides for each other's needs. Another lesson is the church should not be a place where the wealthy are favored over the poor. That's common enough in society. Let's be different as the church. And then finally, the New Testament recognizes that the love of money is a temptation that needs to be resisted. This relates to Jesus' teaching about making God, not money, your master. When money is our master rather than God, that's when we get on the wrong track. All right, I've covered a lot of material. Hang in there, we're getting close to the end. Deepening our understanding of Jesus interacting with the rich man in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31, we've looked through whole of the New Testament. We see that the, we should not be those who have a close-fisted grasp on wealth. Now let's look to the Old Testament to see what the rest of the Bible teaches us about money. We'll see that God also does not want us to be irresponsible with what he's given us. The Old Testament is big, and there's a lot we could explore. However, let's focus in on two places to talk about money, Proverbs and the Mosaic Law. For each of these sections, we'll look at just a few passages that illustrate the general lessons. Here are a few Proverbs. Proverbs 6, starting at verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Proverbs 10, verse 4. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Or Proverbs 22, verses 22 to 23. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and exact life for life. Do some planning. Don't be lazy. Don't exploit the poor. And then here are just a couple passages from the Mosaic Law that speak to the biblical attitude toward money. Deuteronomy 15, starting at verse 7. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. 
And then Deuteronomy 24, verse 19. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. There is so much more we could explore in the Old Testament. However, from what we've seen, here's what we learn. Hard work and careful planning are good things, valued by God. However, the wealthy should not use what they have to exploit the poor. Instead, leave an open hand for God's plans. You may remember this seven-step approach I outlined at the beginning of our quest. Well, we've made it through the list and are now on step seven. There is more we could explore, but I think we're ready to move to that last step. How do we respond today? Let's start by recapping what we've learned so far. Don't try to write all these points down. There's too many. My, my point with this slide is to show that we covered a lot of lessons today. If you look carefully, you'll see all the lessons we covered today. We need to boil this down to a manageable size. How does that look? Better? <laughs> all right, here are a few lessons that have come up throughout our quest. One is that following Jesus requires leaving our old ways behind. Second, we must make God, not money, our master. Then third, realize that since God gave us what we have in terms of money and in terms of the skills and life circumstances needed to earn that money, we are called to use those things in a responsible manner. I'm nearly done. I just felt there was one more thing God wanted me to share with you today. I spent some time asking God what that one thing was. Here's what I want to leave you with. My original question was, do I need to give all my money away? Here's my answer. Whatever you need to do, you need God. In the end, it comes back to that image of the camel and the eye of the needle. We can't do it without God. We can't just willpower our way into right financial living. Maybe you recognize that you have a closed fist of grasp on wealth and you want to change. You need God. Maybe your financial habits are reckless and it gets you into trouble. You need God's help to change that. Whatever you do, whatever you need to do, you need God. The good news is you don't need to stay stuck. God can change your situation. He can do the things that are impossible for us to do on our own. In fact, when we turn to God in our need, he changes far more than our attitude toward money. But he can change our attitude toward money. God can enable us to live in a way that is both open-handed and financially responsible. For those here who have experienced that, you know how much you needed God to get there. I'll share an example of an area where I've needed God. About a year ago, I decided to quit my job, move provinces, and go back to school to start a new career. Um, yeah, and this was the result of a roughly year-long discernment process. Early on in the discernment process, questions bubbled up about finances. How would I pay for school? How much would school cost? Do I need to leave my job? What about the loss of Income, benefits, career momentum. What about the cost of living in Toronto? 
my parents raised me to be financially responsible. Was this a financially irresponsible decision? So I spent time planning out what my financial situation would look like. I looked at the cost of tuition and compared it to what I had saved up. I looked at scholarships, bursaries, student loans. So I was proactive in considering my financial situation. I didn't just blindly enter into it. But there were still plenty of unknowns. I would need to trust God with those. So that's what I'm doing. My situation now is less financially stable than it was a year ago. But I'm not really too worried about it. God's been taking care of me. The point of that story is so that you can similarly trust God with your finances. What does that look like for you? God will let you know if you let him. I want to finish with a prayer. I'll pray in first person, but feel free to pray along and apply it to yourself. Lord Jesus, we need you. Please join each of us now. Make yourself known. Has money been a barrier between me and you, Jesus? Has anything else been a barrier between us? Is there anything you want me to give up? Am I being responsible with what you've given me? Open up my heart, Lord, and help me see clearly. And then help me, Lord, because I need the help. I can't do it without you. Help me be receptive to you. Take my life and change it. Amen.